Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to this new episode of FEPS Talks. I'm David Rinaldi, Director of Studies and Policies at FEPS, the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. And I'm very glad to welcome you today in this new episode dedicated to adult learning and uh, individual learning accounts. We decided to touch this topic because on December 10, the European Commission has launched a new initiative exactly on this, a council recommendation on, for the establishment of national individual learning accounts. And we thought of inviting uh, Brikena Chomachi, the director of the Lifelong Learning Platform, to discuss exactly this very important topic for the education of all Europeans. Brikena, I think that perhaps the very first question to address to you is the fundamental one, meaning uh, why a push on adult learning now uh, after the recovery in a moment of deep uh, transformations and in particular why is the european union uh, that has to step in uh, why the european level uh, policy making is the right one it's definitely a very important and uh, broad question it could take a long time to to explain why do we need uh, more adult education and why is it important now i think it has always been important in the last decades uh, it has just gained a lot more attention after the multiple uh, economic and social crises europe and the world has gone through and the rapid changes of the labor market but also of the society that has made adult education more relevant and more important. And it's important for the EU, especially now after this pandemic, and as we speak of its recovery, so how can we recover from this pandemic? And as we go through the green and the digital transition, to really address the issue of access to education and training for young adults and adults in general. As you know, I mean, I represent the Lifelong Learning Platform, the European umbrella network of EU networks representing education and training providers. As education and training providers, we believe on the importance of lifelong learning and we believe especially on the fact that learning is a lifelong experience and it means that uh, we don't finish learning after graduation and uh, this is important because uh, society needs people to uh, acquire new knowledge new skills new attitudes and new uh, competences uh, in order to adapt to these uh, constant changes uh, and also in order to have uh, adults remain uh, active not only in the labor market but also in the social life and for us it's equally important dimension to consider that in this digital and green revolution if we can call them like that that uh, adults are able to uh, participate in the society and that they are not excluded uh, which is the risk we are going through the digital development digital technology developments because also if we think of the participation in the democratic life of the society uh, Nowadays, adults will need the skills, digital skills, to be able to participate or even access uh, public services that are more and more digitalized. So there are 
different dimensions, but I would say all important for uh, adult education and training to be at the EU agenda on top of it. And the EU also has committed on the European pillar of social rights, which the first pillar is access to education and lifelong learning for all. Therefore, we need to do more when it comes to adult education. Exactly. Uh, That's a good reference to the... um... European pillar of social rights and in particular to the action plan that the Commission has put forward uh, to Porto Summit uh, because there there is a quite an uh, ambitious target uh, for adult learning. So the objective is to take in very few years the participation rate from 38% to over 60% among adults in order to involve them in adult formative experiences. At the moment, not even the top performing countries in this category are reaching 60%. Talking about, usually, of course, the Scandinavian countries. Do you see it feasible to attain the targets and uh, actually what needs to be done? Because from the eyes of uh, somebody that is not an expert in the field, it might look that given the transformation of the labor markets you have described, it might not be enough to do more of the same. We probably need um, a new system for adult learning. Is that the case? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, we can't afford to keep the system as it is because um, we will never achieve these targets. I think we need to broaden a bit our approaches and look at the diversity of the learners that are represented in the adult population uh, and therefore uh, tailor the uh, training opportunities to this diversity as well. And on top of that, uh, we also have to broaden the recognition of the existence of different learning environments. What I mean by that is that while we traditionally would consider universities as a possible place to go back to have some further education, we might not and we should not uh, ignore the existence of diverse learning environments, adult education uh, centers, uh, professional education and training centers, also a lot of civil society organizations that provide training, non-formal education training to adults and other NGOs or other social services that provide these trainings as well or employment offices. So there are different places, different learning environments that can support the need for such a transition and that should be recognized and and also should get the support, the financial support by the state in order to provide an offer that is tailored to the diversity of the learners because the challenge here is really the diversity of the population. And I think only by looking at this broad approach, we, we can maybe, maybe reach the target to a certain extent. And then, of course, there is a lot of work to be done in order to reach out those that are more difficult to reach. And what I mean by that is that Uh, the problem we have with adult learners is that they have several social and economic barriers and cultural barriers in order to continue uh, further training that we need to overcome. And one way is also by 
being closer to them. So having more uh, training centers and training opportunities that are as close as possible to the the area they live, uh, their life is is uh, is happening. So it's very important that we get as closer as possible to them, that we reach out to them. We improve also communication of the offer, and this would probably, to some extent, help us reach the target. And yet, I'm not sure <laughs> we will probably reach it. But I think there is a lot of multi levels and multi approaches to be taken into consideration here. The targets are meant for the situation to improve. So let's let's hope that they will deliver on on this. To follow up on your um, response, actually, two questions came to mind. Actually, they were even prepared, if I can say so. But I'm glad that you have um, uh, touched upon them. Because one aspect that I wanted to follow up is the one that you mentioned about the diversity of type of training situations and arrangements that might be needed and how the different actors involved. You mentioned the public sector. Maybe if I understand, uh, you like the idea of the public sector in a financing role, maybe less of a provider. Or uh, what about the private sector? You lead instead the action from the civil society. So in how do you see the possible synergies between these three completely different somehow levels and actors involved in, in adult learning? Because we need, as you said, to leverage the possibilities of all actors. But in the practice, what are the things that you found that are working and where are the areas that where instead synergies really need to be discovered? Well, we definitely are for more synergies between different financing and provision schemes. Uh, and therefore, I, I, I fully agree that there has to be public private partnerships when it comes to the offer. The reality or the situation as it is right now in adult education, we have a larger number of private providers versus public providers, but uh, we also have an issue of uh, quality of this offer and accessibility of this offer. So when building such a multi-partnerships multi between the private and the public sector in order to improve the offer, we need to also look at how at ensuring a certain level of quality and uh, ensuring also accessibility. What I mean by that, that the private offer so far uh, is probably more accessible to those that are already high qualified and financially able to afford those offers, while other people that probably are more in need of uh, social integration into the labor market uh, are probably more excluded and uh, less like can access less of this offer. So we need to address this issue. And I think the only way is to have uh, uh, governments and policymakers of the public sector uh, having uh, this uh, having this private public. Uh, partnership approach uh, in from the design uh, phase to the implementation phase. So we need to bring all the different stakeholders, the the unions as well, the civil society, the education and training providers, both uh, public and the private ones, around the same table to to build some kind of uh, a system that uh, it's affordable for everyone and is of a quality for everyone and can be recognized. Uh, so I really think that the, the the biggest question is how to address the fragmentation that exists, uh, for instance 
assistance uh, in the in this field in the adult education in particular in many member states you have a large large amount of private uh, providers especially when it comes to digital skills that do a great job absolutely but again as i said are mostly uh, accessible by those that already have several qualifications and skills so it doesn't solve the problem that we have in europe with uh, a large population of adults with basic digital skills or just basic skills in general and therefore i think uh, yeah we need to to find ways to build these synergies let me try birkena to push for one thing that comes out of the work that feps has done in partnership with the jacques delor institute Uh, led by Sofia Fernandez and uh, Claire Vicarnais, we have published two studies, one on towards a European right for uh, adult learning and the other one towards a European individual learning account. Because I wanted to stress actually that what you claim is one of the most uh, cumbersome and worrisome uh, facts, the, fa- the issue that those that are more in need of training are those that are not receiving it. And that's true for the low skilled uh, that, you know, they have a very low take up below below 20% where the, when the high skills, they almost reach to 60% of involvement in adult learning. Same for employed and, uh, and, uh, and unemployed. So we thought that somehow the universality in approach, so the fact that we really recognize to everybody the right to adult learning can be conceptually a step forward that tells people and member states that we need to be concrete and we to follow up on this we see the individual learning accounts as one way to operationalize this european right to adult learning for everybody what do you see um, do you see potential in a real universal right on adult education i do see a step towards it and i think uh, we we were very happy to see indeed the the commissioner launching this idea in the new skills agenda the individual learning accounts as a way to uh, lifelong learning entitlements so the rights to 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 training throughout life an extension to the fundam- fundamental right to education, which we as, a, as an organization promote. And we would indeed uh, <laughs> advocate for, for that in order to, to address the issue of um, leaving a certain target groups behind. So it's very important. And I think it's a step t- uh, towards that. One of the issues that we saw, though, with the way uh, so far the Commission or the member states have addressed this is that it's uh, actually targeting employed people or that have have had some kind of employment. So people that have already contributed to the labor market and social <laughs> security. And, and that is a little bit of an issue for us when it comes to making it universal because uh, there are target groups and there are learners that do have not even had the possibility to contribute, not to think about all young people that have done so many unpaid traineeships and internships across Europe, which is another issue that we have forgotten to considering this, uh, that these young people have finished uh, their graduation and they have stayed probably for a few years without social uh, contributions, which means that they probably do not have access to these ILAs the way certain member states would uh, consider implementing them, which would be based on employment uh, contributions. So this is actually just one example that comes to my mind, but it's just to illustrate that uh, we must make sure that the individual learning accounts give universal access access to everyone and address the issue of those that really need it, despite and no matter whether they were or not 
in the labor markets uh, before. So uh, I think this is for us very, very important to consider. So do I take it correctly that you welcome the Commission proposal um, for a council recommendation on the establishment of national individual learning accounts? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Do you see potential resistances there, difficulties? What are the political challenges around realizing this that sounds almost like a no-brainer? why we are not yet there. Yes, actually uh, the conversation on uh, financing lifelong learning started a few years back and I remember the Croatian presidency of the council at that time trying to figure out how to finance lifelong learning and all a lot of the member states and especially small countries uh, or in the in the East uh, European part they really have big challenges of uh, financial provision for such uh, um for yeah for such a development so th- there is an issue of funding where uh member states are all will struggle to implement ILAs the way they have been proposed and also remembering that Europe is made of mostly SMEs so SMEs have also very little financial capacity to provide further training in house so this is an additional issue for member states they expect the private sector to support but uh, in most countries, the private sector is a very small private sector, I mean, made of small companies uh, which don't have the capacity. So um, I think there are many also legal aspects on how this will be integrated into into the taxation systems. So some countries are very good at it and others are a bit less, but uh, it will require uh, changing a lot of the social rights and uh, legal aspects as well uh, to make this universal and to make this uh, a right for everyone. So I would say from one side, the financial provision and the legal provision would be the two main challenges for the member states to to implement it. But I think there are good examples out there in some of the member states. Of course, the the French example is the most known one, but there are other examples uh, that are probably more hidden into the taxation systems that we don't see that can also be a good example for certain countries. And I think, yeah, by sharing on these uh, examples uh, and supporting uh, starting maybe with the support from the union for in order for the member states uh, afterwards to be able to build their own system. So I would say that as an initial step would be to have uh, EU uh, support through the European social funds uh, or other EU funds that can support or like regional cohesion funds that can support first in, you know, establishment of these systems and then hopefully countries will take on board and, and will be able to, to implement it on their national level. But yeah, I still think it would be a a challenging exercise, but countries are aware and they are all, I think, on board with this initiative. While you were speaking, I was looking at the data on the financing of uh, education. On average, in Europe, a member state um, invests 4.6% of its GDP in education, so the whole sector, while just 0.5% of GDP, so 0.5%, uh, is dedicated to adult um, uh, retaining and upskilling. So it's a very, very limited part of, of the public investment compared to the challenges you described uh, in our changing labor markets 
and need to adapt to the new digital and uh, ecological transition. I wanted to also reflect with you on the other aspect that is particularly relevant uh, from a progressive viewpoint. We spoke about the universality, inclusiveness in access. Another point would be to secure if you want high quality, to make sure that the, that the different aspects of training, there's no class A and class B, and they are all somehow useful and relevant. Are there any practices that you would uh, be able to recommend or any um, suggestion that you would be able to put forward in order to make sure that quality remains one of the you know top priority of any formative experience that's a difficult question there i mean there are probably plenty of examples of course and um that can be found in the non-formal education sector for adult education so there are plenty of examples there of, of uh, quality formative experience but it is, it's much more difficult than that controlling the whole quality of the offer because of its fragmentations that i mentioned before i don't know to which extent we can address that uh, two classes, two levels of quality, unless the member states um, do take a lot, about, a lot more control on the on the offer out there. Um, try to also have accreditation and uh, recognition systems that would uh, control the quality of the offer and make sure that there is no uh, huge differences uh, in the market. But uh, yeah, it's a difficult exercise. We tend to usually, uh, as lifelong learning platform, we tend to always promote a kind of a learning experience for adults that is totally different from the formal education system that is more tailored to the learner, more focused to the learner that has a totally different pedagogy. It takes into account uh, the, the, the previous experience and learning and knowledge and competences of the adult. And so it's adapted also to their capacity of concentration of learning at certain age because also learning changes with, with age and experience. And uh, we can't have the same approach uh, of teaching that we had in schools and universities so I think quality comes also with adapting this uh, teaching and learning to this population that is uh, quite different. But yeah, I think it's still it's it's it's, an, it's a big challenge still to control the quality of all the offer that is out there. Thank you, thank you, Birkana. Let me conclude this uh, podcast uh, with one um, uh, allowing you to express one wish, if you want. Uh, so uh, now we had the, uh, the commission proposal on the council recommendation put forward. If you look at 2022, what is the thing that you really want to see realized uh, in the field of uh, education and training? Um, what I would really wish to see uh, in 2022 is that member states, thanks to and the union, thanks to the recovery funds and the different instruments that the union is putting into place, uh, finally design lifelong learning strategies that put lifelong learning at the heart of their social policies and that uh, make this universal access to learning and to training for all possible by uh, building synergies with different policies uh, and not working in silos. So that would be my, my dream or wish for 2022 that maybe this initiative, the ILAS initiative, would actually bring people uh, around the same table to have holistic strategies on lifelong learning. Thanks a lot, Birken Aksomaki, Director of the Lifelong Learning Platform of 
course, you can reach out to her and to the Lifelong Learning Platform for more information on this topic. We also recommend you to have a look at the commission documents that have just launched this council recommendation for an individual learning account. And of course, if you want to deepen the subject, please have a look at the papers by FEPS and the Jacques Delors Institute towards a European individual learning account and towards an individual right to adult learning for all Europeans by Sofia Fernandez and Clervi Kerneis. Thanks, everybody, and see you soon at the next episode of FEPS Talks. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.